Hey everybody, welcome to the Third Line Plugs Sensecast. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. Joining me as always from the tropical metropolis of Calgary, Alberta, my co-host, Tim Jensi. Tim, how's it going, sir? It's going good. Fighting a bit of a cold, but uh, other than that, going pretty good. We had a heck of a weekend for sports. Oh my god, did we ever. And you know what? We're going to be talking a lot about that this evening. But before we do that, let's talk about your cold. What's been going on, man? Have you just been... That's just sneezy. It was like, for the longest time, it was just like this little sore throat. So I'm like, maybe I just have the, the humidifier on too high. Sorry, the dehumidifier on too high. Yeah. So then it's like, oh, it's taking all of the moisture out of the air. Now my throat's sore. No, it's just cold. But it was like weird because it wasn't like sore. It was just dry. Ah, uh, okay. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, I know. Like even for myself, like I was dealing with the flu this week as well. So I do know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, and the same thing with me. Like I would have a sore throat and think it's like oh okay it might just be the weather whatever and then yeah it's just a cold yeah so hopefully it'll be done in a couple days hopefully man hopefully but i'll tell you what won't be done in a couple days because we're going to do it this evening we're going to talk about today's cover athlete for today's episode season seven episode 17 in chronological order episode 167 it is the rourke Sharche episode so just a little background about rourke Sharche. he was selected 149th overall by the san jose sharks in 2014 he has played parts of three seasons in the nhl with san jose and ottawa recording three goals one assist for four points in 53 career games yeah kind of one of those weird pickups for the sens where just kind of shows up and then all of a sudden he's the the guy who kind of survives training camp in a slot you thought like maybe Roby Arvente or uh, Igor Sokolov would take. And yep. the guy is a perfectly serviceable fourth line wing, fourth line center. Yeah, I mean, like you said, I mean, it's, he definitely filled one of those roles that your Arvente or Sokolov are going to do. But I think in the past we've talked about with Sokolov, he's not being a great enough skater. And if he is, he's not going to be a bottom sixer. Let's be real. Yes. So it's like, what are you going to do with Igor Sokolov, right? But uh, Rourke Chartier, he played admirably. Unfortunately, the Sens weren't very good. So <laughs> his counting stats aren't terribly impressive. He did finally get a goal, which was pretty funny. Yeah. And you know what happened to him? He got set down. Yep. But... Honestly, you knew it was coming when uh, Ridley Gregg really established him and Shane Pinto came came back. Yeah, and those are two guys we're going to be talking a lot about this evening in our lone game of the episode. Now, moving away from... Excuse me. Moving away from Rourke Sharche, Tim. Next week's cover athlete. This is a guy we're going to have a lot of stuff to talk about. And I think that there is going to be some... I don't want to say revisionist history, but I think that our thoughts on him have probably changed over the last couple of years since he was our last cover athlete for episode 68. Yeah. Mike Hoffman will be our cover athlete for next week's episode. Just a very weird career arc, eh? He really is. And currently he's playing in San Jose. Funny how, remember we traded him, got it for what was that? We traded for two picks and then they flipped him to Florida. Yeah, like immediately. Yeah, and then he, what he goes out and scores like 30-something goals, and the Panthers don't even keep him. <laughs> well, then they get someone better too, eh? I know. It's the way that it is, right? And I mean, I don't know what it is. 
I don't know if the stink of the whole thing between him and Eric has just stuck with him that teams don't want to keep him around, or there's just something that maybe he just his... hasn't been good. So like his high water mark really was those years in Ottawa, right? So by 29, when he was in Florida, he was trending down to a third liner, fourth liner, and this year he's just not been good on San Jose either. Yeah, and you know what? It's hard to be good on such a bad team, too. Yeah, and over the last year, his peak shot was during the that 16-17 season. Every year after that, his shot's just gotten a little more predictable, a little less good. And his ability to create his own offense just dried up uh, when he was in St. Louis and Montreal. Pretty much. But then again, we'll talk a lot about that on next week's episode. Because like you said off the top, I mean, it was just a wild weekend in sports. Instead of talking about our week, let's talk about the big game. Super Bowl 58 between the San Francisco 49ers and the Kansas City Chiefs. I gotta say... Going into that game, you knew it was going to be a good one. But after that first half, I remember sitting there thinking, if this is the way this game's going to go, this is going to be one of the worst Super Bowls I've ever watched. And then that second half and the overtime happened. Honestly, the turning point of that whole media event was halftime because you're right. That first half stunk. One touchdown and a handful of field goals. That's it. The only interesting thing that happened was that flea flicker play. Yeah, and that was such an interesting play. And that's a moment that really did stick out to me. But it's one of those things when looking back on that first half of the game, because look, I'm okay with defensive football. I am. However, when the offense can't even do anything right. And I said that I was saying this to somebody at work. It's like 49, like San Francisco's defense looked fantastic. And so did the Chiefs. But when your quarterback is throwing the ball and nobody can even catch it, you're doing yourself no favors. Well, it was completely disjointed play. And even in that second half, the Chiefs offense lucked out incredibly with probably the weirdest play I've ever seen where the punt bounces off of one of the 49ers back, the back of his heel, goes through two 49ers hands, And into the special teams of the Kansas City Chiefs, which then immediately becomes a touchdown. If that doesn't happen, San Francisco happily wins that game. Yeah, because... That's just such a fluke play, right? It is such a fluke play, but it really sum... That really does sum up Kansas City's year because, you know, I know a lot of people on social media want to go, oh, it's because of Taylor Swift, blah, 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 blah. No, overall, the Chiefs' offense was just not good. It was their defense that was bailing them out all year. Yep. Like, the only offensive pieces that really did anything, and neither of them really showed up until overtime, were Mahomes and Kelsey. Yep. And Mahomes had to basically... He had to run 20 yards on a play just to get them into football, into field goal range. Yeah, which for Patrick Mahomes is nothing. But the thing is, when Travis Kelsey has one catch in the entire first half you know something's wrong. Yeah. And then I don't think it could go unstated just how cursed San Francisco was injury-wise. A guy tears his Achilles walking onto the field. Yeah. And then 
four more injuries on the O-line? It's any, like, sure. San Francisco needed to do more with all the interceptions they interceptions they generated, especially the egregiously bad one that Mahomes threw in the third quarter. To the point where SpongeBob and Patrick were making fun of him. Because oh. first you had the terrible snap yeah. that went through Mahomes' hands, and you have uh, Patrick Starr going, firmly grasp it! You have to firmly grasp it! Did you see the Nickelodeon stream at all? No, uh, I was watching it at one of the guys I play fantasy football with. We had a whole party at their place, and so we were watching it on the DAZN stream. We didn't have it on the Nickelodeon stream, but I know there were a ton of people who did see it on there. It seemed like it was a good time. It was wild. So one of my buddies works for uh, the company that helps, that feeds the analytics and does some of the mocap for them. Mm -hmm. And he was saying that uh, it was kind of impressive the work they did just to kind of get, like they had like a mo, they had like a fish overlay for a bunch of the celebrities. So you had like LeBron James. Okay, that's kind of, actually, you know what? I'm going to give that. That's kind of clever. But that's almost like some Finding Nemo type of stuff. Oh, yeah. But, like, to be able to do that over a live broadcast is frankly impressive. Yeah, because you need to have the voice actors in the studio. You need to have the people in studio doing it. Now, going back to the game, I think for me, and, you know, we talked about the injuries for San Francisco. I think the thing that really killed them overall was not involving Christian McCaffrey as much as they should have. And I think that's what killed the Detroit Lions as well, is you had such a running game that you were so persistent on using them through the first half and then not using them. Yeah. And, and I said this to somebody today. I was like, okay. And I'm, and you know me, I'm not a 49ers fan. This is a team that has Christian McCaffrey on it. A guy who I'm going to be honest, should have won league MVP. Yep. He is the best running back in the league. And I love Christian McCaffrey. Believe me. I loved him as a Panther. I even love him as a 49er. But why would you, in the Super Bowl, after you ran him all year, he put up so many yards, not run him? I don't know. And, like, especially on those those late fourth quarter drives where not getting a touchdown really mattered, especially kind of at the third down where they nothing throw play. Yeah, why aren't you just run? You do, like, a run two rush, get your five yards each time, boom, you're down the field. Yep. Yeah, I really don't get that either. The other thing is, that missed field goal return. What? Just a weird game. The Chiefs, like, whatever, uh, whatever star sign magic the Swifties were doing, that is a game where one team was cursed. The other team was not punished for any of their errors. No, it's definitely a game, and I don't know where how you felt about it. I felt it was one of those games where those yards felt earned. They were yeah. not just given to them. Because with Kansas City and even San Francisco, they could have hucked the ball downfield and somebody's wide open. Yeah. Nobody was open. There was what Kelsey was open, like, what, three times? Yeah. Like, that was just the quality of defensive play from both teams. And just kind of some frankly, dysfunction. And even into overtime, you kind of saw that. Yeah, and it was interesting being at a Super Bowl party full. I shouldn't say full, but I was definitely surrounded by 49ers fans, and you could cut the tension in that room. With of, a knife, yeah. Yep. 
like shout out to Mike, by the way, guy who I play fantasy football with when the overtime touchdown was scored, you just saw a look of a man soul just left his body. He was up against the wall and he just sort of slid down until he fully sat down on the ground. And you just look, he looked so defeated. I was just, I looked at him. I was like, you know what? I get that. Hey, how do you think I felt 10 years ago? You know what? We could say, we could talk as much shit as we want about the 49ers losing this game. At least this loss is not going to be turned into a fucking meme for the last next decade. You don't think this one's going to be memed? You know what's going to get memed for a decade? The guy blowing his Achilles out, but not that, to... No, no, no. That <sighs> and the missed field goal conversion. That one point made the entire difference of the game. But you know what? It may be turned into a meme, but not to the point of what Seahawks fans have had to deal with for the last decade of why would you throw it on the one yard line? Just kick higher. Isn't that supposed to be a gimme kick too? It's a gimme kick, but it's one of those things where if the, yeah, the kicker thinks it's a gimme kick, but the guy just got his hand way high up in the air. Yeah. That's just so weird. It is. Now, quickly turning our attention away from the game, let's talk about the halftime show because, you know, I'm going to say this, and I'm going to be honest when I say it. The Usher halftime show is exactly the halftime show people expected from Usher. It was not good, but it wasn't awful. It was very was much say, in the middle to me. The The music it's so mid it hurts. How I still don't understand how Usher was pop- popular. The showmanship was on point. The dude's doing choreographed roller skating while people are getting thrown in the air behind him. Little Wayne showed up. No, he didn't. Sorry, Lil John. Lil John. Lil John. Lil John. Lil John. I I screwed up my my rappers who d- just scream angrily. I'm sorry. Well, I think Little Wayne's more, you know, guys. He's more of a nasal. Yeah, it's a yeah. All right. What? What? Yeah, no. So uh, it was a very fun half. Like the halftime show was really fun. I just wish it was better. I just don't like Usher. I just felt it was just. I don't know. I just felt it was fine. It was just fine. It wasn't great. It wasn't god-awful. It was fine. Yeah. I mean, it was better than last year's. See, I am going to go the other way. I think the Rihanna one was better. Oh, wait. Sorry. Last year was Rihanna. No, Rihanna's was good. Two years ago with... uh, Oh, Dr. Dre and Dr. Dre and his crew. That one was... They had an interesting stage. Yeah. And I like Mary J. Blige and Snoop, but they weren't interesting. And then half the... Half the field could see them. Yeah. Like, Ashree and I were talking about this last night. I said, you know, it seems like it was a better idea than it was an execution. Oh, the Snoop one? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, for sure. And, and you know what? Look, I was fine with it when they announced it. I'm like, okay, that's cool. In fairness, I know these people go, well, why not get the Foo Fighters? But I think the Foo Fighters were on tour at the time. But I'm amazed given how Guns N' Roses really came back into style, they could have got them for that. Now, for the what this year in Vegas. 
Now, I know that Usher has kind of had a resurgence a little bit in the last year or two. And he has was, a new album. He has a new album. He's got hit singles people know of. But for my humble opinion, I want to get you, I'm going to get your take on this, okay? I have an artist in mind. Okay. Who, who fit the exact same criteria Usher did. But to me, I think would have been a better halftime show. Uh-huh. Think of it. They had an album 20 years ago that had hit singles people still remember. They've had singles since that people still remember. They haven't done anything recently that people have really loved. But this artist is from Las Vegas. Is it The Killers? The Killers. The Killers would be good. And you um, know, it would have been... too would have been fun. You too would have been good. I was just thinking because you're in Las Vegas, The Killers would have been good. Because honestly, if you were to break out... Somebody told me the man and then finish off with Mr. Brightside. Mr. Brightside. And you know what? It would have been a high energy halftime show. I'm not saying that Usher's wasn't. I'm saying from a musical standpoint, I think the killers would have been a better. Who would have they brought with them? Who would have they brought? And you know what? Maybe they could have broken out. I don't know if they could have broken out like Usher or somebody but I'm just trying to think because you're in Las Vegas, you have all these residency acts that you could have gotten. Oh, so you could have brought out Celine and Cirque du Soleil, the Blue Man and the Blue Man Group. I mean, how I don't can, know. even in Las Vegas, like Little John lives in Vegas now. Yeah, that's true. I guess the other thing you could have done is you kind of have that early 2000s prog rock, pop punk emo revival. I guess so. I mean, that you... the killers kind of fit into. Yeah, they were they were a hard band to really say where exactly they fell on all of it because they kind of fell in between everything. Yeah, like I think prog just because of how mixed they are. I don't know if I would say prog because when I think of prog, I think of like complex rush. Rush, yeah. Kind of odd time signatures, stuff like that. But no, I think the killers would have been cool. I think if you really want to do the ultimate flex in Las Vegas. The Golden Knights just won the Stanley Cup. Why not bring them out on stage? Put the Stanley Cup in front of everybody in Las Vegas. Well, that'd be kind of fun. Like, find a way to get the Knights involved. Yeah. 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 Now, for next year's Super Bowl, because it's going to be in New Orleans. Oh, shocker. The early favorite right now is going to be Little Wayne. The guy but, screwed up with Little John. Yes. But here's the thing about Little Wayne, because Katrina was showing me the early favorite odds of who's going to play the halftime show for next year. Now, naturally little Wayne's at the top because he's from new Orleans, but think of the artists you can get with him. Hear me out on this. Okay. Drake, Frank ocean, little John, you can get all these people included with him because of the fact little Wayne has connections to everybody. That's true. But also Drake. That's the thing about Drake. It's like, I was thinking the last couple of years, like, what is the last, outside of the weekend, what is the last, I would say, more modern artist that not from 20 years ago you could have got for this? Well, Rihanna. Again, Rihanna still falls under, like, 20 years ago. Right, but she's been active the whole time, man. True, but I'm thinking, like, who's, like, a modern-day popular artist 
But Trank's also like tw banging 20 years at this point. True. Hotline Bling is 10 years ago. Yeah, I know, but that's what I'm saying, right? I'm saying outside of the weekend, the weekend is more he's he's coming on to 10 years, but he's still quote unquote still sort of modern. And I was saying to Katrina, I'm like, who would you get for that? I mean, you I mean, people would be pissed off if you got, I don't know, Billy Eilish, Dua Lipe. Is Billy Eilish done stuff other than bad guy? Yeah, apparently okay. she's she's had a number of singles that were popular. Because I just haven't seen anything kind of come out onto Top 40 Radio since Bad Guy broke out in that big way. Well, I know she had a big hit single from the Barbie soundtrack. I think she won a Grammy or right. something for it. I forgot about that song. But there's a number of... Yeah, but there's just so many artists where it's like, I don't know, across the board, if there's anybody who's like a household name. But that's kind of the problem with the modern age. Mm -hmm. is that there really isn't that mainstream anymore. Everything's just kind of become fractal, right? Yes. So you don't really have that big crossover act except for like Taylor Swift. But Taylor Swift's been in the game for 20 years now. Yeah, and she was somebody apparently was asked to be involved with this halftime show this year, and she said no. Yeah, because her boyfriend was going to be at the game. Exactly. But you know what? I'm going to say this about Taylor Swift and the Chiefs. Because everybody, and I was definitely of the early crowd of like, ugh, like, can't believe she's getting involved. Oh, we're getting all the Swifties and football. But you know what? The more I think about it, she's not personally bringing attention to herself. She's just showing up. I mean, it's obvious cross-promotion between Swift and the NFL. It is, but it, she's not bringing the attention to herself the way that Patrick Mahomes' brother and wife are. Oh, yeah. And that's where I don't yeah. have an issue with Taylor Swift being involved. It's because unlike Brittany Mahomes and Jackson Mahomes, Taylor Swift shows up. That's the that's the best publicity you could ever get for the NFL. Exactly. She shows up. She sees herself on the Jumbotron, crushes a beer. Yep. What else can you want? Right? It's like with the NHL when Carrie Underwood was married to Mike Fisher. Pretty much. Like, it's about as good as you could. Or uh, Hillary Duff marrying Mike Comrie. Yeah, which, by the way, and I even said this last night, talking about halftime shows, I think across the board, I think Carrie Underwood would be a great option. You know. Especially if you do it in the South. Yeah, another one that could work is if you did a Disney Channel reunion and you got, like, Miley Cyrus, Hilary Duff. Jonas Brothers. Jonas Brothers, Selena Gomez. Yeah, Katrina said that too. Find a way to get Zac Efron in there. Actually, you could just get the cast for High School Musical. They can all sing and act. Oh my God! Could you, buddy? That would that would be a good show. You gotta send this idea to the NFL. They'll write it into the script for next year. I guess the other question is like I know we're talking about like these early odds for uh, who's gonna do the next halftime show. Has anyone ever marked them to market to see how often? Like, sorry, what you would do is you would compare. Early odds says it's this person at this percent. It was actually this person. How often was it correct at each varying percentage level? You know, I'm not sure if anybody's really thought of it that way, though, Tim. Because it's like, should I care about the odds? If it's like, oh, yeah, it's like 33 to 1 that it's going to be uh, a little Wayne. But these odds makers also said two years ago, 33 to 1, that it was going to be, I don't know, Ashton Kutcher. True. Then should I care? Yeah, like it, are they well calibrated or not? 
That's a good point. Yeah. And I mean, in fairness, it could be a, one of these things next year where little Wayne's not even involved. Yeah. And we get the high school musical crew back. <laughs> That's right. Courtesy of Tim Jensey. Courtesy of Tim Jensey. Uh, no, honestly, I'm going to say, I hope somebody is listening to this and they're like, I vote yes for high school musical halftime show. Yeah. I really enjoyed this conversation about the Super Bowl, man. I'm glad that we get to do it every year. Yeah, you know pretty what, much. But you know what? I'm also glad we get to go. We get to do Tim. Uh huh. It's segueing to this little segment I like to call Top of the Hour. Nice. Also, sidebar. You know what we did three years ago this past week, Tim? We interviewed Ron Tugnut. That was fun. Matt, do you remember that Zoom kept cutting out on his end? <laughs> remember how that was the interview where we decided to use Zoom in the first place? Oh, I know. I'm amazed that we ever went back to Zoom after that, to be honest with you. <laughs> well, it was like it wasn't a problem with on our end. It was it was Ron. So we were having some pretty wild issues with Skype. Oh, yeah. I mean, we talked about it in the past, right? So but something else we've always talked about in the past is Pittsburgh Penguins captain Sidney Crosby passing Mark Recchi for 21st on the all-time goal list with 578. Against his former teammate, Marc-Andre Fleury. It's fun seeing that Sidney Crosby passing all these names too, and uh, this is a guy who could probably play until he's 40. Easy, easy. And this is something that Adam and I talked about in our podcast about the Olympics in two years with Crosby potentially going. It's going to be funny that like Crosby's could still be like a top line player on a Canadian, a Canadian team over a decade after the last time he did it. Well, God, almost two decades. Yeah. That's wild because it's going to be 2026. Yep. Well, do you think maybe he sticks around to see if he can officially get a second Olympic gold medal? That'd be fun. No, this would be third. This would be his third, yeah. That'd be funny. I'm here three, for it. Third golds. Yeah, three golds and three cups. I can't think of a player who's done more than that. Well, I guess the Oilers, but whatever. Yeah, but that's just the Oilers, though. Now, you did mention Marc-Andre Fleury. We also got to give him a quick shout-out because he became the fourth goalie in NHL history to play in 1,000 career games. Yeah, and it was fun uh, for that 1,000th game. His uh, goalie tandem partner, Gustafsson, funnily enough, also a product of the Pittsburgh pipeline, came in wearing a flower crown and when asked about it was told, yeah, I just thought it would fit the mood. I thought flower would like it. I know. And Marc-Andre Fleury, he seems like such a likable guy. And regardless of what you want to think of him as a goaltender, I think the craziest thing is he... There's a very good likelihood he is the last goalie to play a thousand games in the NHL. That's t- yeah, just because. Well, not a lot of goalies are making starting... it until eighteen, though. Not a lot are making it eighteen. The concept of the starter goalie is starting to make way to more balanced tandems. Yeah, <clears throat> we'd have to see like someone actually phenomenal to do it, or someone who can play until they're like. 43 like Craig Anderson. Yeah. Unfortunately, he never got it to a thousand games, but it is what it is, right? Exactly. Yep. 
We also got to have a, well, we're going to give a couple more congratulations though, Tim. Washington Capitals captain Alex Ovechkin passed Wayne Gretzky for the most empty net goals at 57. I bet, bet he didn't get cross-checked in the head, but we'll talk about that later on. We'll talk about that later. But also it's like, that is such a, that's a weird record, eh? Yeah, it's one of those records where you wouldn't think that Wayne Gretzky would hold that record. But then again, Wayne Gretzky holds every record, so it doesn't seem that crazy. But it's like, I thought he'd score more empty netters, but I guess like maybe he just put so many games to ice that it just wasn't necessary. Yeah, and I mean, there was no point because the goalie just kind of stood there anyway when he scored. That's true. He essentially always had a wide open net. Just funny stuff. Yeah. Detroit Red Wings forward Patrick Kane played in his 1200th career game this week. The counting stats have looked fine for him this year. Definitely better than uh, last year now that his hip's a bit better, but I'm just not feeling it for Patty Kane this year. No. And Patrick Kane overall, I mean, first of all, good on him that he got to 1200 games. But also, I think when you look back at the past of the cabbie incident, what happened with the Blackhawks, there's always going to be that dark cloud around him. So yeah. any any record that he's going to end up hitting or getting to, there's always going to be the crowd that goes, yeah, but what about the Kyle Beach stuff? What exactly. About, what about the cabbie? Yeah. And like, it is a shame for a guy who's like incredibly well decorated with three time, three time cup. He has a Calder, four-time All-Star, Smythe, Hart, Ross, Pearson. Silver medal. Silver medal. Like, he is probably one of the most decorated American NHL players out there. And, yeah, just unfortunately, consistently surrounded by just a cloud of scandal. Yeah. So, honest question here, Tim. Talking about Patrick Kane, because there's always the argument of he being the greatest American-born player of all time. Do you think that he is? No. Who do you think it is? I honestly think right now Austin Matthews is the better player. Really? I mean, like career-wise, yeah, I'd say Austin Matthews. But then like other American players, it's it's a tough one, right? Yeah, because you look back, you have Mike Medano, Jeremy Roenick. Roenick. Keith Kachuk. Yeah, and, well, how you got, and you got two, both Kachuk brothers. Mm-hmm. But then you're making way of the new generation of the American kids coming up, like, like you said, Austin Matthews, Matthew Brady, Chuck, the Hughes boys coming up, even Jack Eichel. Yeah, Jack Eichel. So yeah, like it's it's tough. Kane is a great player. I do think Austin Matthews is a better player, and it's a shame that that Toronto is so completely misbuilt. And we'll get to that. We will. We will. Florida Panthers head coach Paul Maurice moved into fifth place on the all-time wins list at 850. Now, sorry, before we talk about Paul Maurice, the NHL coach, I want to go back to talking about Adams in my podcast because we were talking about the 2026 Olympic team and the discussion came up, who would be head coach for Team Canada? As it stands right now, is Paul Maurice the heavy favorite? For Team Canada. I'm trying to think of other good, like strong Canadian coaches. What about Jim Montgomery? Montgomery is a good one. Montgomery is a really good one. 
Yeah, but Paul Maurice, I mean, the fact is that he kind of slides under the radar when talking about decorated head coaches right now in the NHL. Yeah, well, just because I don't, has he won anything? I don't believe he has, I don't believe he won a Stanley Cup, no. No. How about Lindy Ruff? Lindy Ruff, that's another name that got thrown out there. Another name that Adam threw out there was Patrick Waugh. Well, let's see what he does in uh, the island first. I just, there's a part of me that does want to see Patrick Waugh coach Team Canada because I just want to see the shit storm that he causes. Oh, yeah. Because you know John Tortorella is going to be coaching the U.S. Oh, Torts. That's going to be a good one. But you know what, though? Hand it to Torts, man. He's really, at least he's turned his image around. Oh, yeah. Because he's such a perfect coach for the Flyers. Well, that and from what you kind of see from the Flyers and what people say from the Flyers, the idea that he was a coach that doesn't care about the players doesn't seem real. I think that was very much a, you know, here's the thing about Torts. I think that was definitely more of his attitude towards the players early on. Yeah. But I think once he left the Rangers the second time and he had that time in between where he went to the Canucks for the one year, he got shit canned. And then it seemed like he was never going to come back. I think his attitude completely changed. And then he went to the Blue Jackets. And that Blue Jackets run was incredible. Yeah. And he was, he was handed a Jackets team of young players that he can grow with. So I think that completely turned him around. How about John Cooper? Oh, John Cooper. How did we not mention that? No, I could see John Cooper. And then it's, or Bruce Cassidy. Ottawa product Bruce Cassidy. Yeah, there's so many good, good choices here. Bruce Cassidy has a Stanley Cup. Yeah, John Cooper's got two of them. Yeah, so it's like, <clears throat> I think those are your guys. It's just uh, Lindy Rupp and Paul Maurice have the number of, the number of wins. Although, win percentage, not, not the best. There's a lot of good options for Canada. It is. Now, we're talking about the NHL. Paul Maurice, NHL head coach, moves into fifth. Again, that he kind of slid under the radar there when you really think about it. This is something we talked about how many weeks ago when we talked about him and the just the amount of games he's actually coached in the NHL. Yeah, like, I didn't realize the guys... He's younger than I thought he was, and he's played almost... Coached almost 2,000. Like, the only guy who's coached more is Scotty Bowman. Yeah, and Scotty Bowman was around forever. Ever. Okay, I got one for Team Canada. What about Rod Brendamore? Rod the Bod? Yeah. Or Barry Trotz? Okay, I did I did mention Barry Trotz. <laughs> I don't know if he would come down from being president, though, to coach again. That's true. Yeah, but Canada's got so many good coaches, though. Like, it's not even funny how many we got. Oh, yeah. Like... Most of the top 10 are Canadian. Oh, yeah. 100%. 100%. So, Tim, we got to talk about the Toronto Maple Leafs because if there's one thing that we are... I, th- I believe that we are advocates here is paying bills. Uh-huh. Pay your taxes, everyone. Don't be... Render, un- render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. Yep. So, Toronto Maple Leafs captain John Tavares is fighting the... Canada Revenue Agency over an $8 billion tax bill. To be fair, I have fought 
Canada Revenue Agency over a $2,000 tax bill. Okay. And I won. It was just a typo. Eight million and two thousand are definitely very different, but let's see where this goes. Yeah, and then what was this all about? I did read a bit of it. It came from what his signing bonus or something. That... Yes, but it it is just a very funny story to see. Like, oh yeah, the captain of the Toronto Maple Leafs doesn't pay his taxes. Yeah, those are. I tell you, I did not have that on my two thousand twenty four uh, bowl boulder, man. Yeah, so it's like. Is a signing bonus part of a player's salary? And it's going to be interesting to see what it actually is. Do you think that's something that the CB or uh, the Players Association could have stepped in and be like, trying to argue, is that part of his salary? Um, they might provide they might provide testimony on behalf of Tavares mm-hmm. if uh, it's relevant to the case. Right, but is this something that the NHLPA would go against? Canada Revenue Agency, though. Um, I think so, because, like, part of the reason why players take signing bonuses is they are treated somewhat differently. Sorry, normally they're treated somewhat differently than regular income. So, I actually should have put this as part of our congratulations, but I also want to give a shout-out to former Calgary Flames captain Lanny McDonald, who extended a message of gratitude after suffering a cardiac event at the Calgary airport. Yeah, that's wild. But it's also kind of impressive uh, just how responders were able to just quickly deal with it. Yeah, it's like a story out of the NFL this past week where Mark Andrews, who's a tight end for the Baltimore Ravens, he saved a woman's life on a flight. Because he's a type 1 diabetic and this person was having a episode on an airplane and he mentioned check her blood sugar because I'm diabetic. Right. That's cool. Yeah. But you know what, though? I mean, because you mentioned about people were very quick to be responders. It's Lenny friggin McDonald in Calgary. I mean, I know. Everybody's like, oh, my God, it's Lenny. Oh, my God. Lenny's having a heart attack. Lenny, how's the Chick-fil-A? Oh, it's great. That's unfortunate. Yeah. Does the Calgary Airport still have Chick-fil-A? No, that closed during COVID. Oh. I think not, it wasn't Arby's, like Hardee's or Carl Jr. or something they have at the airport. I rarely eat at any of the businesses at the airport. I'm going to be honest at that one. I remember they had a Chili's. Yeah, I can't see you eating at Chili's. Uh, we ate there once as a joke. You, so you went ironically. Yeah, I, I ironically went to the to the Chili's. Actually, that's a lie. I will eat in past security, mm-hmm. especially if it's an international flight. Oh, uh, okay. But nowadays, like I, I have my lounge pass, so I usually just go to a lounge. That's oh, not too bad, man. Not too bad. Not at all. Washington Capitals forward Evgeny Kuznetsov took a leave of absence to enter the NHLPA player assistance program. And again, this is something that we talked about in the last several weeks with players doing it. It's really good to see that we have this generation of players who are taking their health, either physically or mentally or otherwise, very seriously. Yeah, and it's just, it's surprising how many there have been this year. 
Yeah, but you know what, though? Good on them because, you know, an older generation of players would have never dealt with this. For sure. Like, you know how we're talking about the Alexander Dag doc? And I mentioned in the documentary, Alex talks about being burnt out and dealing with the mental repercussions of the pressure that was put on him. And his agent flat out told him, well, don't tell people you're going to a therapist. You won't be taken first. Yeah. I'm glad in the last 30 years that mindset has gone away. Oh, for sure. It was always kind of shady that that is the, was the mindset. I'm just surprised like we've seen just such a big uptick in this year over even last year. But like I said, good on him. You know, hopefully he can get the help he needs. I know that he was in the news a few years ago for reasons we don't need to go into, but I'm glad that he's taking the steps. Exactly. Yeah. So you know how we were talking about Patrick Kane a few moments ago, Tim? We got to talk about his former team, the Chicago Blackhawks. Surprise, surprise. They are going to be hosting another Winter Classic in 2025 at Wrigley Field versus the St. Louis Blues. Wow. Crazy. I, you know what? I'm still surprised Montreal hasn't had one yet. Here's the thing. I'm not that surprised because I do not want to see an outdoor game in the O. Really? At, at Olympic Stadium? No, that's an awful youth. That would be like putting a Leafs outdoor game in Rogers Center. That's true. Honestly, because I'm just trying to think, where would you put an outdoor game in Montreal? Would you put it where the Alouettes play? Or... Oh, at McGill? Yeah, at McGill. Like, again, I don't know. With Montreal, I think if Montreal had an outdoor baseball stadium, it'd be different, but... Again, I don't see Montreal, but I was really surprised to hear that the Columbus Blue Jackets will also be hosting a stadium series game at Ohio Stadium, which I think is a hundred and like that uh, one's massive. Hundred five hundred and ten thousand seat arena. And you know what's funny? I think since nineteen seventy-eight, I think there's only been a handful of occasions Ohio State has not sold that stadium out. And I'm gonna guess like that was probably during the big scandal at Ohio State. I'm not too sure what year it was, but even in those years, they were selling out. Oh, wow. And you look at some of the attendance they've had, like they've had, they had a friendly between, I think it was like Manchester United and like AC Milan or Real Madrid. And they were like 110 plus thousand seats. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I'm good. I, mean, I am very happy though that Columbus is finally getting an outdoor game because honestly, they need a win. Yeah, this has been such a weird season for them. It has, but even the whole era with Goudreau being there, because again, it's such a head scratcher why he went there in the first place, and then people were so shocked that the Blue Jackets were not good with him. Yeah, just be, well, they made a bunch of just like excuse me moves on top of that. Yeah, Gabranson. Gabranson. Uh, trading away uh, Olivier Bjork, Bjorkstrand for nothing. That made no sense. But I was just trying to think here for the Blue Jackets. I mean, if Ohio's, if Ohio Stadium was not available, I'm just trying to think, like, where would you go? Like, because I don't know in where in relation to like Cincinnati or Cleveland Columbus's 
So I don't know. Like, would it's you kind of far? Would you? Okay, so you wouldn't go into like where the Bengals or the Browns or even like the Cincinnati Reds or even the Cleveland Guardians? Uh, Cincinnati, I guess like Cincinnati to Columbus. Let's see how far of a drive that is. Cincinnati, Columbus, Cincinnati, Cincinnati. Let's see. Cincinnati is an hour and a half. Yeah, that's still quite a drive. And I don't even know like what the number of Blue Jackets fans would be in Cincinnati. Because Cincinnati, yeah. Cincinnati's a Bengals town, first and foremost. That is like they have that and they've got the Reds. And the Reds are awful. Reds are awful. Have you heard about the Reds owner? He's a no. he's essentially in Eugene Melnick territory of being insulting towards the fan base. Wow. So what happened was that there's a couple of years ago where okay, so the Cincinnati Reds, I think they had they were like four in forty seven or something. They they were like historically bad. And people were not coming. And their owner straight up says that the fans were ungrateful. Huh. Yeah, like he just straight up shit on the fan base. And I was like, oh. That's almost like Eugene Milnick. I've seen this place before. I've seen this play before. Yeah, it never ends well. It never no. ends well. But I'll tell you what does end well, Tim. Something that we've only talked about once here on Third Line Plug. And I'm glad that we get to talk about it today. The Pro Women's Hockey League, because they will be playing games on March 16th and 17th at Detroit's Little Caesar Arena and Pittsburgh's PPG Paints Arena. Yeah, so looks like those are going to be probably some of the target expansions for the PWHL. Yeah, and it, you know what? It is so cool to see the PWHL succeeding the way they are in their first season. And I know that there's going to be people out there going like, oh, yeah, that's a first year. Everybody does well in the first year. It's going to be in the years coming after this. But this is such a good start because you see where they're making strides a league like the WNBA is not making. Oh, yeah. I was going to say, like, compared to the WNBA start, this is phenomenal. And I think uh, it looks like the PWHL has learned a lot from mistakes that previous women's hockey leagues have made and that WNBA made. Yeah. And they're really proving that there is not only an appetite, but a market for women's sports because, yeah. you know, and again, we talked about the WNBA, but also with women's soccer at one time, not being a draw. And now you have women's soccer being a draw all over the world. Mm -hmm. Well, it's like it, it took a long time for that. It did. And what's really smart is that they're taking baby steps. They're not going, they're not jumping headfirst into the deep end. Mm -hmm. So this is a very positive side. They say that going into bigger arenas in, oh Christ, in Minnesota. I mean, they're selling out every game there. So there's definitely a market for it. So it'll be interesting to see in the next couple of years how they're going to keep this going. Yeah. <clears throat> there's definitely an appetite so let's see where they go so unfortunately we only got one signing to talk about this week tim the pittsburgh penguins signed jesse pulley to a two-year 1.6 million dollar contract with an aav of eight hundred thousand. 
the Budbusters back? No, that's Magnus oh, PRB. That's Magnus PRB. I was hoping the Budbuster was back. Oh man, that'd be so good. No, Jesse Pulley Oh right, the Canucks former prospect. Uh, no, he was the Oilers. Or, one. Oilers. Why did I think he was a Canuck? Man, I just really wanted it to be the Budbuster. I know. I was gonna say this cold is really throwing you for a loop, isn't it? Yeah, but uh, yeah, he's definitely one of the guys that. He definitely wasn't as good as people thought he was going to be, but I am really surprised that he couldn't find his place as like a third or fourth liner. Yeah, but I think it's one of those things. I've had conversations with people about this in the past who are Oilers fans. I'm of the belief, I think Edmonton also rushed him as they did with a lot of prospects where they throw him in the deep end and they hope that everyone's like a Connor McDavid. Right. Because, I mean, hell, Magnus PRV was not that... I think the only first overall pick that was like really good out of the gate was Taylor Hall. Hall, and then even you could say Nuge as well. Nuge, I think Nuge had his moments, but it he's he he grew into it. Yeah, and then like Yakupov is Yakupov. Oh, Yakupov. Yeah, no, and then like Connor McDavid was just great right out of the gate. Hmm. Well, yeah, and then finally Edmonton seems to have put all the pieces together, although. After their win streak ended, it's been kind of dicey. Yeah, and then the then the LA Kings went the other way, and now they're on a winning streak. Yeah, it's funny how we were talking about that last week, and then all of a sudden we've just kind of seen the... You know in Mario Party when he hit all the chance time? Yes. Yeah, we just saw the NHL equivalent of chance time. That's a very good comparison. Actually, I'm going to give you that, Tim. Good on you, man. Good on you. Thank you. So we're going to close off top of the air by talking about a couple of suspensions. Winnipeg Jets defenseman Brendan Dillon was suspended three games for an illegal check to the head of Penguins' Noel Akari. Yeah. Yeah, this was pretty bad. Yep. And uh, could have been a little more, but at least it got something. Yeah, and and same with our next one here. Vancouver Canucks defenseman Nikita Zadorov was also suspended two games for a hit to the head on Red Wings' Lucas Raymond. Yeah, what was kind of incredible about this one was how quick the turnaround was. Yeah, because he looked like he definitely committed to the hit. And Ray, here's the thing, and I get that a hit to the head is never a good thing. No. What I what I always find interesting with some of these players is how, especially with Lucas Raymond, you see him coming at you. Wouldn't your first instinct after you dump the puck is trying to protect yourself? Well, this is happening so fast too, right? Yeah, I, I guess so. But when you have time, you would think, okay, dump it off. You got to keep your head on a swivel. Yeah, but it's also Zadorov really had... Zadorov had a responsibility to be in control there, right? Like you yeah. can't just be screaming across the ice like that. That is true, but I, I get why he was banking that hit because Raymond had the puck coming through center ice. As a defenseman, you got to make that move. Yeah. So once he, Raymond dumps it off, well, now you're fucked because basically you've committed to hitting him. Yeah, pretty much. Like, it's a tough position to be in. Yeah, it is. It is. And like you said, the game is so quick that you can't protect yourself. But I hate the fact that certain players feel that just because you dump the puck or you get rid of the puck, the guy's not going to hit you. Yeah. But it's like, 
you got to do. Like, there's only so much you can do. Yeah, but you got to, to, to a, a degree, you've got to try to either brace for it or protect yourself. Right, but it's still like, this is Dorov shouldn't have done that. Mm -hmm. And I think the suspension came down like either the same day or early next day. So it was a really quick turnaround by the NHL. Yeah, because it was inconclusive. Like, it was pretty much like, yep, you can't do that. That is true. Well, Tim, I guess that wraps up top of the hour this week, which can mean only one thing. It's time to turn our attention to the lone game in the evening. Now, I'm going to ask you the question. Do you want me to hit the music, or should we just head right into the game? Oh, let's hit the music. It's time to play the game. Time to play the game! Well, Tim... Time to talk about the lone game in the evening. The Battle of Ontario between the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Ottawa Senators. This is a 5-3 Senators victory. Leaf goals are scored by Austin Matthews, Matthew Nyes, and Max Domi. Sens goals are scored by Claude Giroux, Vladimir Tarasenko, Shane Pinto, Josh Norris, and Ridley Grieg in the empty net. Shots were 35-32 for the Leafs. So this was Ottawa's first game back after the All-Star break. And, you know, I got to say, the Senators looked really rusty early on. But overall, I liked how they played. Yeah, so Toronto capitalized really quickly with Matthews potting. <laughs> Not the greatest goal of his career, but it wasn't a bad one. On an Ottawa team that just kind of slept in a bit. But the nice thing about this this game is, you know how previously in this year, Ottawa would just kind of go away? After a bad start, within the same period, Ottawa just completely turned the momentum of the game. And it was kind of all Ottawa after that, with the exception of uh, the pressure leading up to the Nyes goal, the Domi goal, and then the six on five that ended with Greek putting in the net. This was just a complete game by the Ottawa Senators. And frankly, it was a game where their the Norris Batherson Kachuk line didn't even play that well. No, and it's interesting because I felt like everybody else played well. I really liked how Thomas Shabbat played. Shane Panto, I was so impressed with him in this game. The man had three points. He did. And Jonas Corposalo, hell, even he had a really solid game in this one. Yeah, so it was like Ottawa got a lot of value out of their their, their depth. Parker, do you want... Let's talk Parker Kelly for a second. Sure. Parker Kelly was all over the ice. Uh, integral defensive plays stripped the puck that led to strip the puck in the offensive zone, which allowed him to get back to the point, have the puck cycle back to him. He takes the shot, which allows the Norris tip it. Sorry, the Pinto tip it. Just a beautiful, beautiful work by Parker Kelly. And uh, he's a guy who's really impressed for a fourth liner. He has. And even talking about the Shane Pinto goal, I mean, look, there's not much Martin Jones going to do on that. But then again, Matthew Nice had the exact same goal on Corpusalo. So it's nice to see it went both ways. But Shane Pinto missing the wide open net was so gut punchy because you can even see him just like throw like, ah. But what's so funny is about the Nice goal is just how one of the big pieces of criticism for the Ottawa Senators this year was giving up quick goals after they scored. The Pinto goal was within a minute of Matthew Nice's goal. And that just came from very hard, hard work in the zone. And 
I think that's kind of been a hallmark of hockey under Jacques Martin with this group of Ottawa Senators. Is this group just outworked Toronto? Yeah, and it's funny when you watch the Leafs in this game because the one thing I really noticed, and I've noticed this a number of times in the games we've ever seen the Leafs in, is that, and I'm not sure it's because of all the skill they have on that team, they don't look like they're trying. It looks yeah. like they're just kind of floating until think... like they really need to get pressure going, and then they like step it up. And then the other thing is, is like you could tell when the Matthews line was on because other than that. Toronto didn't really get much from the rest of their forwards. They got the matchup they wanted. They got Pinto against the Nylander line, and Ottawa dominated that matchup. It's not very often you see Nylander held silent in a game. Yeah, and that was one guy that I'd never even noticed in this game, though. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, the other one... One guy I noticed in a bad way was Mitch Marner. He got absolutely worked by Drew. And Drew just sends that nice pass to Tarasenko. And it's a 2-1 hockey game for the Senators. A lead that Ottawa would not relinquish. Yeah, actually talking about Claude Giroux, I mean, on that first goal, one thing that I wish Claude, because I find that he doesn't complete it more often than not, is that pass across everybody. Because he always either deflects off of somebody's stick, hits a leg, hits something. In that moment, you had all the time in the world. Why not take take a shot off? I mean, I like I liked in that instance because he got the pass to Tarasenko, which moved Martin Jones, which allowed the rest of the sequence. So I like what I like what Giroud did there. Yeah, but I mean, there's so many times this season where I've seen him play that card before and it's not panned out for him. In a moment where you see him coming down the wing and you're like, okay, you have all this space right here to shoot on him. I think he gets I think he gets more with the pass, and that's why he does it. Because yeah, you get the goalie moving, which means that on the on the crackback or the pass back, sorry, either the Tarasenko or whoever's coming in with him shoots and gets can pick across the goalie, and the goalie's got no chance to move back, or they could pass back to Giroux and the goalie's got no chance to move back. Yeah, which so happened like, on this one. On this one, which is a really strong play. <coughs> and it's just really bad defense work. Like, both of the first two Sens goals were taking advantage of just really sloppy neutral zone work by the Maple Leafs. Yeah, and you know how we always talk about the Leaf fans that come into the CTC for the games? Did you notice, or was it me, that it didn't seem as prevalent that the Leaf fans were there? They were there? Yeah, but it they didn't were, seem like overwhelming. Not until the Domi goal got Toronto back in it, but they get Leaf fans were not happy with Toronto almost giving up four goals to Ottawa in that second frame. Shabbat running one off the post on that power play. Yeah, it's because we named last week's episode after him. That's why he's playing so good, Tim. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's just been a really good run of hockey for the Sens. It really has. It really has. Now, of course, talking about this game, the big storyline, let's talk about Ridley Greig. Scores on the empty net with a slap shot. Morgan Riley cross-checks him in the face as retaliation. Now, talking about both sides, because I saw a lot of people having a lot of opinions on it. 
and you and I are going to share our own opinions here right now. Yeah. Now, the Ridley Gregg goal, was the slap shot necessary? No. Could you say that it was bordering on unsportsmanlike? No. Was Morgan Riley cross-checking him in the unsportsmanlike? Absolutely. Like, here's the thing. There had been a number of plays previously, and on the Pinto missing the net play in particular, Ridley Gregg was in the net. He gets knocked down. Then Matthews punches him in the back when he's down. So Ridley Gregg and Pinto, they take advantage of just really sloppy passing from Toronto on that six-on-five opportunity. Puck comes out, Ridley Gregg pushes it forward, and he decides to put an exclamation mark on it. You have Leaf, like Leaf fans doing Leaf fan stuff in the building. You have, including booing the opposing team. Yeah. You have a, a game that had gotten away from the refs, including a, like a bunch of stick infractions and missed cross checks, missed punches, that sort of thing. So yeah, I f- I feel like that is the place to stir the pot. There's five seconds left, and if you're the Toronto Maple Leafs, try not losing. Yeah, and it was interesting seeing a lot of people's comments because, and it's funny, when you see both sides of the fan base between the Sens and the Leafs, Sens fans are like, oh my god, this was this was hilarious, it was great, it was good to see really great do this, I can't believe Morgan Riley did this, and then you have the Leafs side of it. It's, no, that's total bullshit, he shouldn't have done that, Riley was in his right. Like, when Sheldon Keefe straight up comes out and says he was in his right to do that, I I don't like that because if, like well hear me out on this. Yeah. If I if I'm Michael Anlauer, you could make a legit argument to go to the league and get him to get fined. Yeah. Oh yeah, totally. When you, when you openly state, yes, I'm okay with that. That's when the ownership should have said that, you know what? No. And yeah, go, like, and file a complaint with the league. Like I am okay. With a hit, with a hit that the NHL has deemed suspendable. Yeah, remember, the guy was Morgan Riley was kicked out of the game immediately. Yeah, like the ref was like, no, the yeah. ref was he got, got five it. in a game, five in a game, right there. Like everyone knew he was going to get suspended after that happened. And frankly, the Leafs fans, it's just it's cope. The season looks like it's getting away from Toronto here. They're in a wild card spot for gosh sakes. And I don't think they want to play Boston or Carolina. No. And if they lose Morgan Riley, let's let's look at Toronto's defensive depth. I and I gonna, think we'll we'll enjoy this. I was we gonna have, say, should I have the should I have like funny music over top of it? Yeah, because like this this might be what Toronto rolls out. And if Morgan Riley's gone for six games. This is a uh, this is something, and this is also incredible because Giordano's out. The Klinkberg signing was an incredible dud. Yep. All right, let's look at our defensemen. We have Jake McCabe. Like uh, we're already starting strong. Jake McCabe, Simon Benoit, T.J. Brody, William Lagasin, Max Lajoie, and. Timothy, no, Lilligren's injured. Connor Timmons. It's almost like you need the trumpo. 
Like, yeah, Will Max LeJoie might get in there. What's next? Are they going to bring back Victor Mete? I don't know how, but maybe. But it's just like, what a brutal team. Like, Muzzin ended up on Robota Island, so did John Klinkberg. But this offseason has turned into, like, the offseason moves that Brad Living made, every single one of them has turned into either mediocre or worse. Like, this is a Toronto team that is much worse than it was last year. Thankfully, most of these are one-year contracts, because, like, I don't... Max Domi's not coming back. The Klingberg signing was dumb. But then... Brody's gone, and Brody's a shadow of his former self. They traded Sandine last year. Yeah, don't like, don't get that. Who steps up? Is this know. how the Matthews era kind of goes into its later years, with just a completely incompetent defense and no forward depth? Like, what's the plan? I I don't know, and that's I I just don't know. But I'll tell you what I also don't know, Tim. And I think something that we... I don't know if we've fully talked about in the past. There's like, you know, always about the unwritten rules or unwritten code of hockey. Oh, you mean the ones that just get made up every fucking time someone wants to be mad? Yeah. Well, okay. Jennifer Bottero from Sportsnet. Yep. Five weeks ago, if you recall... She was on record saying that the code and these unwritten rules were bullshit. Yep. Fast forward five weeks and she's straight up defending it. And she's saying like, oh no, like they broke the, they broke the code and all this stuff. Oh no. the And, nets... pe- and people on Twitter flamed her about this. It's I like, mean, oh, it's yeah. because it's a leaf story. I mean, if you're going to be so full you're gonna flip your mind so flagrantly in the space of five weeks without you even acknowledging that yeah you deserve to get shit on for it yeah it's it's like i get it it's because it's a leaf yeah the the one that i'm not surprised i'm neither disappointed nor surprised is bxa defending it yeah but that's but he's a meathead at this point Bexa, I think at this point you know exactly what he's gonna say. You kind of know, you kind of know exactly where he's gonna stand and put his bark. Or PJ, he was the voice of reason of the pals. Like guys, he hit him in the head with his stick. That's yeah. a suspension. Well, and they're like, oh, you know the code, blah blah blah. Yeah, and Ron McLean's just sitting over there spewing stuff about I don't know. Flynn Flon Manitoba or whatever kind of white noise he talks about. Yeah. That that is a panel that needs to get nuked from orbit. Yeah. Like it's just there's nothing useful. They never say anything useful. No, it goes back to what I've always said. It's amazing how little you can say by saying so much. Pretty much. And it's so frustrating when you see these people elsewhere. Yeah. Provide interesting commentary. Or help on just, the American networks. Or just being entertaining. Yeah. Like, it's it sucks that Rogers gives so little of a shit, or they just don't have the skill because they keep laying everyone off. No, that's Bill. Rogers does it too. 
I know, but Bell is very egregious when it comes to it. Oh yeah, that no one wants. Well, no one wants to work in Canadian TV anyway, compared to American TV. Yep. So it's like we're already dealing with the B team here. Like, I wish they would try. Yeah, but you know what? That's probably what the producers are saying in their ears. Like, no, we've got to do it this way. We've done it this way for the last 70 years. We're not going to change. And I feel that's where the Americans are kicking our ass at it. Because, again, it goes back to what I said about Shaq and Barkley. It's new. It's fun. It's new. It's fun. But you know who I'm also going to give a lot of credit to, given that we were talking about the Super Bowl? The NFL on Fox. Regardless of what you may want to think of, like, Terry Bradshaw and Howie Long and Jimmy Johnson, at least when they say stuff, it makes sense. And they're not spewing a bunch of shit. Yeah. (laughs) Versus Rodgers, where it's just like, like case in point i was watching uh i was watching the super bowl right mm-hmm. and it's the cbs feed but it's simultaneous subbed in for the tsn one they yep. forced the tsn panel in for a bit before the state farm panel and it was nothing literally just white noise well you had the cbs panel you had tony romo you had kornheiser and you had a bunch of other guys and it was great they actually discussed the game, broke down plays. Sure, Tony Robo just learned the word leverage the other day, but yep. Otherwise, it's like you, you came out like you learned something about the game. The TSN one by contrast was just this is the Super Bowl. Mahomes better score some points because they're behind in the Super Bowl. Yep. It's almost like remember when John Madden was doing the commentary? You know, the thing is if you go downfield, you're right here, and he has like the board. Yeah. At least when he says something, it, it. I don't. How do I put with John Madden? It's almost like that. It's almost like with Madden, he's so excitable that words just don't make sense. But at least you can kind of tell where what he's trying to say. Well, he had the teleprompter. He did. You know what though? And we talk so much shit about Sportsnet. I always feel TSN's panel, at least with hockey, was better. It is. Although like, I think maybe those bell cuts will cut into that. Yeah, like that's the thing. Regardless, even if you look at, say, like a Gary Ock, even regardless of what you want to think of him, at least with him, he's going to give his opinion. And he's not going to be trying to go one way or the other. He's just going to state how he thinks. Especially now that he doesn't have to worry about Melnick taking away his press badge. I don't know, which kind of seems weird because, like, wasn't Gary Ock the only member of the media that? actually got along with Melnick? I think so, yeah. <laughs> but Garyok also watched his tongue. So, like, that's kind of the way she goes, right? It's the way she goes, man. It's the way she goes. So, Tim, I don't have any more comments to make on this episode. If you're ready to head off to the close for a another week. How many games do you think Riley's going to get? Because we know he got the in-person hearing. Okay. I'm going to say six games. The Perron suspension? Yeah. I think they're very similar incidences. Given that it's after the whistle. Like it's after the whistle in retaliation for a perceived issue. Because remember, he went after he went after Zub. Peron went after Zub, who had nothing to do with the play. 
Ridley Gregg, he was stirring the, like it was a pot stirrer. It wasn't like he did anything that deserved a fight, let alone that. Yeah, but good on Shane Pinto for jumping in, though. Oh, yeah. And then, of course, another shitty thing that O'Keefe did is putting out Reeves, who hasn't seen the ice since the five-minute mark of the third period, with five seconds out. Yep. That's the sort of thing that got Lindy Ruff fined. Oh, yeah. I don't want to hear Ryan Reeves talk about, oh, back in my day, these kids would be dead. As he said this Monday, no, DPOS would fine coaches for doing that sort of shit. Yeah, and Sheldon should have been fined for saying that Real Riley should have done that. Yeah, no, Sheldon Keefe should definitely get a fine. Yeah. But Honestly, he's probably going to get fired soon. Oh, yeah, 100%. Actually, sir, can I add one quick sidebar story to add, but also end this episode on a happy note? No, no, one more thing, one more thing. Go for it. Actually watching, like, after the cross-check, yeah. did you not notice that Riley throws in, like, the saddest three little punches on the on Ridley Gregg's numbers at the end, like some three-year-old throwing a tantrum? So basically, it's the funniest thing I have ever seen. Basically, what I'm seeing is that me and your daughter, when she gets a little bit older, and she's like, she's like, hey, give throw me a back. Throw, throw a punch. And she's like this towards yeah. me. Yeah, like, it was just the saddest thing ever. I don't know how you defend Morgan Riley because it's so I don't it's know. so stupid. It's so bad. It's <laughs> so bad. No, that is a really great thing, but I do want to add one quick thing and then we can head off into the close. An NHL team rehired my dad. Really? The LA Kings hired DJ Smith as an assistant coach. Oh yeah, that's great. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I hope you've enjoyed it because believe me, Tim and I love recording it for you. You can find the show on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Google Play, as well as you can find us on social media at Third Line Plug. You can find me on social media at Great White Gipster. You can find Tim on Twitter at M901. Honey Badger. Tim, we actually got three games to talk about this week. Yeah, hockey. It's great. I am so glad that the Senators are back and we're in winning spirits. Everything's going right. And heck, we got a pretty easy schedule coming up here. Hopefully. Don't jinx it. Yep. Knock on wood. Knock on wood. Tuesday, we're going to be playing the Columbus Blue Jackets. <laughs> Thursday, we're going to be playing the Anaheim Ducks. And Saturday, we're traveling to the Windy City to play the Chicago Blackhawks. Maybe we should reach out to Jake, see if he would go to that game. Yeah. I mean, God, no, that'd be so sad because there's... There is no Connor Quinn. Yeah, well, I think you know, I think Jake is still in it. It's still in the South right now. Oh, that's me. Until next week. I am Gibson. And this is Ben Tim Jensen. Woo!